0: The following Dharma Talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And for those of you who've been here, we're working through Step 8, right? So I know it can feel a little forced or artificial, the way that I'm doing the guided meditation instructions, because I'm moving us through the map, And that's not necessarily how one practices, but it is a good way to learn the map. And when you learn the map and you're pretty fluent with the map, then you just sit. And you you notice the way your mind is practicing and the map helps you notice, helps you understand how your mind is practicing in that moment. Because you're going to be somewhere along that map. And the 16 steps are basically a relatively ordinary or gross mind, then we're practicing steps one and two. A relatively refined, purified mind, purified in the sense not a lot of greed, anger, delusion contaminating or animating the mind, <clears throat> then you're practicing, you know, steps fifteen and sixteen, <laughs> you know, and you're close to being a fully awakened human being. Great. Let us know. <laughs> We could use some of those folks in our world right now, but we're somewhere along that spectrum, always practicing in a rel- you know with a relatively gross, ordinary mind or a relatively subtle, refined purified mind, right, and we want to know how to practice wherever we are, like if you have a very purified, subtle balanced present, sustained, present moment of awareness mind, it wouldn't make sense to be using something gross like feeling the touching sensations at the nostril or feeling your belly rising and falling because that mind can do much more subtle work and it would actually be hard to do this grosser work And the same way if your mind is just sort of an ordinary human mind being pushed around by your likes and dislikes and wanting to dwell on the past and anticipate the future, it'd be very hard to notice the changing nature of phenomena or notice dispassion or notice the moments of no-selfing in the mind, not any self-activity, like self-centered activity. It'd be hard to sort of notice and sustain that because it's just not happening in an ordinary gross mind. So think of the 16 steps, really the Buddha mapping out, like when your mind is more refined, then these are the objects you want to be noticing in this relaxed way. And interestingly, the Buddha uses the rhythm of breathing in and out as a kind of tether or you know, it's a little bit like the metrodome. What are those uh, when you see them on a piano? They keep metronome. Metrodome? Sorry. Right? Oh gnome. metronome. Oh yeah, thanks. Yeah, I hadn't heard it that. I hadn't heard it correctly. I was always saying metrodome. <laughs> metronome. Yeah. So anyway, you know, initially, you know, it might be like you can't get it out of your mind. But then the rhythm of the breath, which is good, because as those of you who have been coming know, that, that that initial movement of really making the rhythm of the breath, the physicality, like touching at the nostrils or rising of the belly, falling of the belly, really making it the predominant thing, training your mind to be interested in it, forces the mind to let go of a lot of superficiality worrying about this, like including worrying about whether you're doing the practice right, because that's a distraction. So we have to put down all of that, so we pick up the breath in a very exclusive, direct way. But then very quickly, we let that, you know, the percussion of the in-and-out breath, right, we let it be in the periphery, and we're bringing a succession of more and more subtle objects, mental objects, actually, mind. So joy, ease, that dispassionate awareness of thought, the relative quietness of mental activity. That's the next set of four. And then the third set of four, it's really about experiencing the space of the mind. So the second set of four, it's all about noticing the activity of mind. Joy is seen as an activity. Bright. It's quite alive, right? Joy is an alive quality. Ease, too. More of a ah. Uh, but it's still a movement. It's a mental movement. Mental activity, the quieting of mental activity. Now we're looking, the third set of form, we'll get there in the weeks ahead. <clears throat> it's really about the space of the mind. Not the activity. Activity of mind, like thoughts, happen in the space of the mind. Now this is sort of, Subtle, right? And all of this is only the present moment. The mind and body, activity of the present moment. But in a more subtle way, awareness can notice the space of the present moment. That's getting us close to what we're talking about with the third set of four. Experiencing the mind as you breathe in and out. Gladdening the mind as you breathe in and out quieting or uh, stilling that space and releasing it. And with all of the first three at least, the Buddha is asking us to bring something to mind. So the first set of four, what are we bringing to mind? The body. right? First just the breath, a more specific aspect of the body, but then the whole body. We're bringing it to mind, and calming it. Then, we're bringing, the activity of mind, to mind. Noticing the activity, like feeling, the feeling of joy, is an activity. The feeling of ease, is an activity. Mental activity, thoughts, activity. We're bringing, it to mind, and calming, mental activity. First, we're calming, bodily activity. Then, we're calming, mental activity. Then, we're, Calming the space of the mind, purifying the space of the mind, stilling the space of the mind. Right. So all there, there's knowing. This is the third set, and we'll get there. There's knowing, but that knowing is very pure. No um, agenda in the knowing. That's the purification of the third set of four, and then the last set of four. I won't get into much tonight, but it's purifying. A view, right? So we bring view to mind and we purify it. So in this changing world, we have a view like, ooh, things are changing. It's a personal view, but we're purifying that until in this world, this changing world, there's nobody who has a problem with it. So we're purifying self-view. We're teasing out. We're allowing... Self-view decease is really that fourth set, that fourth set of four instructions. So that makes four sets of four, sixteen instructions. This is that spectrum, working with a relatively ordinary mind, working with a relatively gross mind or a subtle mind. Sorry, and so we're talking tonight really about this second set of four instructions. So just to review for people who haven't been here, when we're really bringing the body to mind with the first four, we're using the breath exclusively to force attention, awareness, to cease its addiction to mental activity. Right? So it's different than the second set of four. And the way we drop mental activity is we take up, the physicality of the breath as an exclusive present moment object. So it's not easy because our mind is basically addicted. It's a very deep habit to be more interested in what the mind is thinking than anything else. But we can train the mind. So we train it to be interested in something ordinary. And we find out it's really hard to train the mind to be aware of something ordinary. I mean, it's a- easy to be aware of the in-breath for a few seconds, but to continuously be aware of the in-breath from the beginning to the end and then the out-breath to the beginning to the end and to do that with successive breaths, that takes some training. And it's really about learning about interest because you can't do that training unless you know how to be interested and to realize that uh, interest arises because of the intention to be interested now, like when I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when you're out <coughs> you know in the woods or somewhere, and a really interesting animal, wild animal that you normally don't see shows up, whatever it might be, bobcat, you know something relatively rare, fox, something like that, if something were to show up, you know and you're hearing it and maybe beginning to see it the mind would get wrapped. Right? We don't use that word too much. It would get very still. There would There would be a quality of the attention that would be unwavering. It wouldn't matter if there were some other sounds, like traffic, because the mind wouldn't pay attention to the traffic. Nor would the mind be thinking about what I did yesterday or what I'm going to have for breakfast tomorrow, because there's a fox, and it's amazing, you know, whatever... Whatever would be amazing for you, you know. Maybe some of you wouldn't be amazed by a fox, but whatever it would be, the mind would, all the energies of the mind would gather. Every part of the mind would be in the service of attending, comprehending, understanding, not in a conceptual way, but in a direct sensorial way, like seeing, hearing, if they smell, smelling, right? if you were actually touching that. But whatever sense connection there can be, the mind would be attentive to that and everything else would not come in because that thing would be in the forefront. Everything else would be in the far periphery, right? And that's what we're doing with the first two instructions. When uh, the Buddha says, I'll just read it here, Breathing in long, or ordinary breath in, one understands, I breathe in long. Breathing out long, one understands, I breathe out long. And then the second, breathing in short, one understands, I breathe in short. Breathing out short, one understands, I breathe out short. Now scholars aren't, of course we don't know, the Buddha taught many hundreds of years ago. But generally what, seems to, what the Buddha seems to be pointing to is long, you know, which is the first one, is just our ordinary breath. And you'll notice the more you study the, this, these first two steps, is when your mind is in an ordinary state of consciousness, the breath is relatively speaking long and relatively rough and ordinary. But as the concentration deepens, as the energy of the mind collects, as you have more and more of this wrapped, unbroken, sustained, present moment awareness, like you're training your mind to be interested in breathing in and breathing out to the exclusion of everything else, then you'll see your breath gets more subtle, more refined, and shorter. Just And it can almost feel like it disappears. So that's, we're doing something very important, we're breaking the mind's addiction to being pushed around by thoughts. Tending to thoughts and reacting to thoughts, which is what our mind almost always is doing. But now we've, through this simple exercise, cultivating interest in what's ordinary. Could be anything, but the Buddha chose to use the breath and I mentioned over the past weeks, there's some real advantages to the breath, like what I'm talking about right now. The more you collect the energy there, the more subtle the breath becomes and the harder to be aware of it. So the it amps up, the mind has to, or wisdom has to amp up its interest because the breath is getting more and more subtle. right? So you're, it's developing the attentiveness, the continuity, the sensitivity, which is exactly the qualities of the mind we want to develop. So that's the first two. And even though we're learning the whole map, let's be honest, Mostly we're working at this level. And after after a difficult day where a lot of emotions have gotten triggered, we might not even be able to get to the first two steps. Because as soon as you sit down, your mind's gone. And then you realize your mind's gone. And before you even can come back, it's gone again. So sometimes when we're sitting, all we're doing is pacifying the hindrances. We're noticing this obsession And we're using whatever skills we have to diffuse that self-centered drama. And then the mind gets involved with another self-centered drama and we're diffusing that. And it's just brief moments that we're with the body and with the breath in the body. And that's just how it is sometimes. Right? So... A lot of people, I mentioned this a couple of times already, think that the mindfulness of breathing was the Buddha's easy instructions, but it's actually a pretty advanced practice because it presumes you've already gotten beyond you know, being lost in thought. And you can actually connect and sustain awareness with something ordinary for at least a few seconds, like for one half breath in and one half breath out. Right. So remember, it's a real success when... You really sense that you're with the physicality of the breath from the very beginning of an in-breath to the end or the very beginning of no out breath to end. That's a real success. That means for that, whatever that amount of time is, you really, the mind has dropped being obsessed with thought. It's dropped the world of thought because it to the degree the mind is full, fully aware, continuously aware, of something ordinary like breathing in, it's not doing all the what it normally does, and that's a real victory. You wanna, you don't want to put yourself down for getting distracted in the next half breath. You want to feel really appreciative of that sustained awareness, and it will be building confidence. Well, if I did it for one half breath, I can do it for another half breath, and if I did it for one half breath in and one half breath out, perhaps I can do it for another breath in and breath out. And little by little we build and begin again and we're really developing patience and forgiveness and that kind of persistence, the willingness to begin again. And it's important that, you know, one of the reasons I'm sort of beating the drum now is to really sense that this is useful training. It doesn't seem very miraculous to drop the world by connecting and sustaining awareness with something ordinary. But it's really amazing. And a lot of people, you know, do things like whatever it is, your whatever your passion might be, building model airplanes, bungee jumping, skydiving, playing basketball, playing tennis, knitting, chopping vegetables. You know, some people have these little things that they've just, for whatever reason, their mind has learned to absorb into. And when they do that thing, knitting, let's say, they're just knitting. Their attention is full and continuous and so full and unwavering with the activity that they're not doing anything else. I mean, even things like crossword puzzles and those little math things, or whatever they're called, and I've never done those, but I've seen them right but like what why do people do that because when they're doing that when they're bringing their full attention to that they're not a neurotic human being to some degree right <laughs> to the degree they're really doing that or grooming your horse or petting your cat or whatever you bring your full continuous attention to you're getting a little vacation from your neurotic self and that's not nothing that's something right that's why most human beings have these little quirky things that we've picked up along the way whatever it is and some of them are more come at a cost right like if you're doing one of the crossword puzzles there may be some greed to want to complete it so it's not the mind isn't in a pure state but at least it isn't holding the world on your shoulders you're for a period of time dropping that. Just like when you read a really dramatic book or really watch a dramatic movie, you might have lost your whole life for that hour, right? Put it down because you're totally absorbed in the movie, but you've picked up another drama, but it's not your drama, right? I mean, think about the movies we watch or the books we read. It's intense, a lot of it. But the reason we do it is because we get to put down our drama, So with when, now like the thing that Buddha and other wise people have discovered, when you train your mind to do that, because it's relatively easy to do that with an intense movie, right? It's like an hour and a half goes by, you don't even realize it. But it's not so easy to do with a neutral thing. Like if I put on some white noise and and asked you to sort of sustain your awareness, it would be very hard. Or like even a waterfall. First few seconds, it's really nice. But then you'll just see your mind just fills in that white space. Just like dreams or things. And you'll see that with your breath too. It's like, oh, this is a good time to fantasize. Because nothing else is going on in the mind except the stupid breath. (laughs) And so you'll see that fantasies and old pain, old wounds... Uh, exciting thoughts about the future. They just rush in to that relatively as that settling is happening. So that's why you have to keep amping up the purity of your interest. No, honey, just noticing the sensations of breathing in. Just noticing the sensations of breathing out. And then once you really can drop the habit of the mind wanting to keep proliferating, keep imagining, keep dramatizing. Then you can go to the third instruction of expanding out to include the whole body as you breathe in. So now the breath is in the periphery and a more expanded view of the present moment, like feeling the whole body, is in the foreground of attention as you breathe in and as you breathe out. Really sensing into the whole body. You're not trying to fix your body You're not trying to kind of deal with the particular knots you have in your shoulder or wherever you might have tension. You're just saying yes to the whole body as it actually is. Yes to the whole body. Just like you'd hear the whole orchestra, you're not obsessing about a particular instrument, whether it's great or bad. You're hearing the wholeness of the sound. Same thing when you're aware of the whole body with step three. Whole body. All-inclusive. And that's very calming because what we're doing now is we're realizing the mind that's the awareness, that part of the mind that is knowing, right, that doesn't have a problem with the body. The body's not perfect. Ordinary, body's just ordinary. There may be pain, there may be tension, there may be numbness, right? It's just body, bodily sensations. But what's really beautiful here, what we're cultivating that's beautiful And healing is a mind that doesn't have a problem with the body. That's what we're we're growing with steps three and four. First, we're expanding awareness to include the whole body. And then we're realizing that the mind, as it's intimate, including the whole body, it doesn't have to have a problem with the body. So as you're breathing up, breathing in with step four, you're noticing where the mind is okay with the body, wherever that is. Again, see, it's really neutral. We want to go where the mind has a problem, like, oh, my knee hurts. But there are a lot of places in the body where the mind doesn't have a problem with the sensations. So again, it's hard to train the mind to be aware of the, bo- the mind that's knowing the body, but is okay with it. Like where the mind and body are getting along. The mind isn't resistant, resisting the sensation, isn't judging the sensations, isn't contracting. The mind isn't contracting around the sensations. The mind is peaceful with that place in the body. So it might be something like a more neutral space in the body. Oh, breathing in, noticing the calm there. Noticing the calming in that place because the mind is okay with the body. And when the mind knows that it can be okay with relatively neutral places in the body, it realizes, actually, I can be okay even with unpleasant or ambiguous places in the body. I can be okay with the whole thing. The mind can actually be okay with pain, right? So we're breathing in, being okay with the whole body. That's the calm spreading. It's basically that, like, oh, yeah, it's okay. And you can even use that as a phrase, breathing in, experiencing the body, it's okay. It's okay. But really expanding through the body with that, it's okay. It's okay that the sensations that the body is the way that it is. Because we're making peace with the body with the first set of four. And then once we've made peace with the body, we're going to start to notice that the mind is just letting life move. And that's joy. Joy, what is joy? Joy is when the mind is leaving everything alone. And so everything, life, the body and mind, starts to move without friction, not all at once. So again, we have to not notice where there's friction, where there's that energetic contraction in the mind and body with step 5 but we're noticing where there's a sense of flow where the experience of the mind and body seems is appearing to be unrestricted flowing light bright ah like no boundary no oppressive holding right it won't be everywhere but it might be somewhere In the space of the present moment, in the activity of the present moment, notice where there's some unrestrictedness, some flow, some lightness. Keep that in mind as you breathe in. Keep that in mind as you breathe out. Experiencing joy, sensitive to joy, rapture. Rapture joy just means some aspect of the present moment is unrestricted. So it is experienced as a free flow. That's what joy is. Life without constriction. Life energy, mind body without constriction. Right? And the more you notice that, because it's pleasant, joy is pleasant, obviously. And so when there's enough pleasantness of joy, what does the kind of more emoting heart think or feel? Ah, I've wanted it to be like this for a long time. Ah, I don't have to run to get this because it's here. I don't need this moment to be other than it is. Now those words obviously aren't going to appear in the mind, but that's the emotional sense and that transition from experiencing joy to beginning to be sensitive to ease. The Pali word is sukha. So we're moving from gross to subtle. So joy... The bright aspect of pleasantness, inner pleasantness, is a rougher kind of happiness than the more ah, ah-contentment flavor of happiness. Make sense? It's like something you didn't realize was tight begins to melt. Ah, I feel safe. I feel like I belong. I don't need to go anywhere or become somebody. Right? Right? So then that's where we're working. That's step six. Experiencing ease, experiencing ease. So for each step, we're keeping something in mind, keeping something in mind. Now we're keeping different aspects of mental activity. These are ease as a mental activity, right? Something moving in the heart, that sense of ease, hopefully spreading, spreading, filling the space of the mind. And then when there's enough ease, then it's possible for the awareness while you're breathing in, while you're breathing out, to just notice any remaining mental activity. However, whatever that might be. Perceptions and intentions and feeling tones, what you're feeling. Oh, this is pleasant. Whatever that kind of mental activity is. But now from this this dispassionate, spacious point of view. Breathing in thoughts. It's okay because I'm content. There's a real pervasive contentment, right? Because that was the previous step. Now, finally, we're not trying to get rid of thoughts. We're just noticing thoughts or mental activity for what it is. It's just mental activity. Being known, being known, with each in-breath, with each out-breath. And then from there, noticing how that spacious or dispassionate awareness calms or quiets the mental activity. And it's really important when we're at that eighth step, we're not trying to suppress mental activity. We're noticing the quieting happening as a natural process because the awareness has had a dispassionate attitude toward the mental activity as opposed to what is more normal over when the mind is more gross, which is I'm always pushed around by whatever the mental activity is because it always feels like it's me talking to me. So of course, there's a reaction to every thought, every intention, every perception, any aspect of mental activity is met with a personal response because we don't have a dispassionate relationship with the mental activity. We have a personal relationship to it, right? And that's what really changes. And remember, what diffused that reactive personal relationship to mental activity? Getting really intimate with joy and ease. It's so important to realize that spiritual life, the deepening of real wisdom requires that we start to tap into wholesome, joy, and ease. It's not a grim path. We really have, but we have to do the work, of break, the, the hard work initially of breaking the mind, the knowing mind's addiction to mental activity, including, hear this, it's important, including the thought, I'm no good at this. See, if my mind identifies with that thought, I'm no good at this, Then I'm not doing the practice of just feeling the breath coming in, feeling the breath going out. I'm back in basically fighting the hindrances, right? The mind which is animated by greed, anger, and delusion. Those are the hindrances, including dullness, sleepiness, you know, the energetic imbalances that come because of greed, anger, delusion. And this stuff Being animated by greed, anger, and delusion is endless. So in Buddhism we call that samsara. It never ends. Unless we take up the very particular training to realize this is endless. Even though I have no clue whether this is going to work, I don't have a better idea. So I'm going to take up the Buddhist instructions and I'm going to bring my attention to something neutral. Might as well use the breath Now some of you, there's always a small percentage of people who've had breathing problems, asthma for example when you were a kid or have some trauma related to the breath where using your breath as an anchor isn't going to be the best thing. But it's okay because you don't have to actually use your breath but you need something to bring the attention to initially to break it, break the habit. Some people use hearing, hearing will work. You can go right to whole body awareness if the breath is sort of emotionally loaded, right? Or some people use touch points. But generally speaking, almost everybody needs a training anchor to realize that I can put down the mind's addiction to thought. How do I know? Because I'm tracking the in-breath. So fully, with such a pure, beautiful interest, that there's really no space in the mind to notice anything else for that, whatever, seven seconds, and then for the up-breath, and then building it so there's more and more of that continuity of present moment awareness. And only then when we have some momentum we open to the whole body and the calm and then the joy and then the ease and then the dispassionate connection or awareness of thought. And then noticing the quieting of thought and noticing the space of the mind and really appreciating, gladdening that space, really realizing how beautiful the mind is that's relatively free of drama, even subtle drama. And that really quiets it even more. Noticing it's beautiful causes the mind to become even quieter, more peaceful. And into... Moments of full release, like a very deep state where all self-centered activity has ceased. Right? And then that sets up the last set of four, which we'll get to in a month or so. But I want to leave it here. We have about 15 minutes. It's really helpful for all of us to hear people honestly, without embarrassment, talk about what you're learning, what's been hard, where you're bumping your head, what you don't understand what's felt like real success. We really learn from these sort of real reporting in from human beings who are doing their best to train their mind in this way. What are you learning? What's throwing you for a loop? And I've been mentioning to the group that it's important as a community that we take the Q&A and the people sharing their experiences. Uh, we really take it with a, just sort of this sense of mutuality so we stay to the end to nine o'clock on Wednesday night. We really do our best to hold each person who's speaking. It's a brave act to share, especially this is sort of personal stuff, and to just appreciate that because it is real learning for us. Our minds are not as different as we imagine. Yeah, good. So who'd like to begin? Yeah, you want to start? Want to pass it first? Are uh, the chairs? This chair.
1: Hi, um, my name's Jim. So um, I've had a little bit of confusion around... Um, and I'm trying to, like, push it aside and just be like, well, I suppose there's so many different teachings out there that a person can get kind of muddled, like chasing True. around different teachings. So I'm trying to, like, quiet some of that, like, content in uh, and just kind of focus on the task at hand. But... Um, I guess I get stuck a little bit on breathing as to whether it's supposed to be kind of short and refined. And then some people I hear, uh, that I respect their opinions also, uh, you know, talk about it being long and like, you know, the longer your breath is, the longer you live and all this. And, um, uh, you know, I guess it's just kind of there. i I've, I've, you know, I can appreciate and under, I, I'm just, that's where I'm stuck.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's really important to bring up. Because like you said at the beginning, Jim, there's a lot of different meditative systems out there and including, you know, a lot of yogic breathing practices that are very good for all kinds of reasons, but they're not really about developing insight. Now, here's the key. Really hear this. We're not controlling our breath. We're not controlling our breath. Any breath will be fine. So there are a lot, both in Western psychological systems, but in the yogic system, other systems, there's a lot of breath practices. But mindfulness of breathing is mindfulness of whatever breath there is. So we're trusting the body knows how to breathe. It can be mentally controlled, obviously, but we're not mentally controlling the breath. We're observing the natural breathing process. And my general point or the Buddha's general point is you'll see that generally speaking over time, either within one sit or just generally over a longer period of time, as the the breath r- reflects the mind, generally the body reflects the mind. You know, when the mind is agitated, the body will be tight and agitated. Same with the breath as a subsystem of the body, right? So, When we start, our breath is going to be ordinary, which the Buddha might say, relatively long, relatively gross. But as everything settles down in the mind and the body reflecting that settling, then the breath is also going to become settled. And a settled breath gets more refined, more subtle and shorter. You'll just see, it just gets very refined. It could, it will feel at times. People will say they'll even get a little shocked. Like, am I breathing? Because it gets really quiet. Yeah, but don't try to make it that way because that just makes the body and the mind tight. Because we call that greed. Whenever the mind wants something to happen, even something that appears to us to be relatively skillful, wanting something to happen is tension. So. Right from the beginning, the hard thing about the Buddhist path is it's really relying on mindful awareness, which is not having an agenda, but wanting to see things as they are. It's just the object of what we want to see changes from relatively gross thing, like feeling the breath coming in and out, to a relatively refined thing, like noticing the space of the mind is a relatively refined object. But all the way through, we're not controlling... That's why this instruction to relax, we want to remember so we can remind ourselves, honey, you can relax. I don't know much about what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I heard it's okay to relax. And even when persistence is an important thing, but not at the expense of being relaxed because it really won't unfold if we're tight. If we're tight, there's greed in the mind. And greed leads to more greed greed doesn't lead to that deepening of wisdom you know or insight, yeah, so I'm really glad you brought that up, Jim. It's an important point because there's so many different systems where we're using breath as self soothing uh stress reduction, and there are reasons to do deep breathing, just like a lot of us myself included, we do a little I do a little deep breathing at the beginning of a sit, and if I'm really stressed, I might take five or ten minutes even to do some deep breathing, deep three-part breathing that I learned way back in my early years doing a lot of yoga, you know, because those techniques help. But it's different than this practice. So use it if you need it at the beginning, If whatever your stress reduction practice is, taking a walk, taking a hot bath, doing some deep breathing, counting sleep, or sheep... But whatever you have to do, so that when you sit down to do your wisdom practice, your Buddhist wisdom practice, awareness practice, then you're already done some of that initial settling work. Because, you know, when we're really agitated, it's hard even just to get to the cushion or chair. You know, we're just too frenetic. Yeah, thanks.
1: Thank you. That's really helpful.
0: Who would like to go next? Other comments or questions that come to mind? Yeah, over here. Mike Keswin, I'm Mike, and I realize that this practice isn't about kind of judging our process or progress, but I still feel like um, it's very easy to start thinking that we have a full mindful awareness of this process. And I'm wondering if there are some other indicators that. We're actually doing it because it's like it can be like, you know, of noticing in and out breaths, and it's like, yeah, it, it's very easy to think we're doing it, but not actually do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I and mean. It, and it really comes to the, what I was talking about early on about interest. But there's sort of two general barometers. One is the inner pleasure, right? The we're conjoining the breathing process and these 16 steps with inner pleasure. So that's the telltale sign that that part of the practice that's about settling, creating a really beautiful instrument, i.e. our mind, our heart, that can see things as they are. We know that that's developing when the inner state of the heart or mind feels good. So samadhi, that word we use a lot here, which gets badly translated as concentration, it's really about unification. And so when the mind unifies, it feels whole. And the subjective experience of wholeness is it feels right, it feels good. So when our mind is really scattered and discombobulated and fragmented, it doesn't feel good. And when our mind takes one step closer to being unified, it starts to feel a little good. And when it takes two steps in that direction, it feels better. So there's a kind of spiritual, psychological, emotional healing that happens when the mind goes from being distracted and superficial and fragmented. Every step toward unification and settledness and purity and stillness feels good in that inner way. So that really helps. And then the other thing that's more profound is we call the development of insight. And that also has a particular taste. And the Buddha calls it the taste of freedom. Like being unruffled by what we call in Buddhism the eight worldly winds. Gain and loss, pain and pleasure, fame and disrepute, praise and blame. So this you notice just not week by week, but maybe five years in, 10 years in, 15 years in of a dedicated practice that when the eight worldly wins, something really great happens to you, something really tragic happens to you, and you notice, I'm okay. Then you go, oh, I wouldn't have been okay five years ago. Something has changed. And that's the development of wisdom. So those are the two only really two things. It's also related to that would be the stability of love or compassion. It's just another sort of a flip side or another side of wisdom, right? Wisdom, compassion, two sides of that development where the mind, the heart becomes unflappable no matter what's going on in life. Yeah, so that inner pleasure of the mind becoming in moments more pure. Now, that comes and goes, the samadhi, because you can be in a really feeling really good in that sort of unified state, and then somebody can say, Hey, someone just stole your car, and you could go to a state of rage. But if you have a lot of wisdom, then you might lose your samadhi, that inner, but you're still unflappable. Oh, yeah, that happens sometimes, right? Because it's true. It does happen sometimes. <laughs> Last uh, couple weeks ago, someone came in after we made the announcement that Carrie made earlier about, um, you know, making sure your possessions are in a safe place. She came in a little late and left her purse in the lobby. And sure enough, someone had come in during the Sunday morning sit, the weekly practice group, and took that purse. And somebody left a phone in their coat pocket. They took the, that. But, you know, somebody with a lot of wisdom would realize, oh yeah, sometimes that happens. Like, I could get all upset. Would that help anybody? No. Well, why do it? I mean, it sounds like, well, because it's not fair. But it's like the, the mind with a lot of wisdom is totally pragmatic. It only wants to do things that help people, that help other beings. Because it doesn't have a self as much that self-centeredness. Well, when somebody does something bad to me, this is what I do. But we don't have to do that. Even really terrible things, we find out we have cancer, a good friend of ours dies. We can just feel what we feel without... Like a lot of times people think that people with a lot of wisdom, they imagine they don't have enough, they don't feel anything. It's just the opposite. You feel... Because there's less distraction, you feel things more strongly. You're just okay feeling what you feel. Lots of joy, lots of sadness when there's loss. It's not that you don't feel loss. You're okay feeling loss. You're okay feeling joy. That's the difference. right? So an awakened person, they'll be the first to laugh and the first to cry. But they don't, they're okay with all that moving through their heart. They're not holding to any of it. But that doesn't mean they're not feeling it. They're just not making a story about it. And that's really a good way to kind of evaluate whether you're doing it right. Like, do you notice the settling process? Are you getting that taste of freedom as wisdom develops? Like, maybe not in a big way, but just with what's coming and going right now in your experience. So the taste of freedom and the taste of subtleness, that inner healing. Yeah, we need to leave it here. It's nine. Thanks, everyone, for sharing. Just take a few seconds. Let go of the words. Just enough time for a couple breaths. It's good, especially when we're learning these more involved maps, to just sort of tell ourselves our story, that I'm in it the long haul. I don't care how many years or who knows how many lifetimes it takes I'm really in it to develop the deepest wisdom the deepest love. What else is there to do with this human life? What would be more valuable than this? So may this be so.